Blog Talk Radio. Radio, as we dive into Revelation chapter 8. Ah, yes, the much awaited seventh seal, as we get to the next part when time is topsy turvy. A little hard to plot your course in the midst of the event horizon for time being cracked in two. Ladies and gentlemen, remember what the Hebrew says in Daniel. Time, time, and the dividing. Ah, yes. So get your Bibles out on your lap. You need them in your hands, ladies and gentlemen, because you need to put your trays in the upright position. Fasten your seatbelts and clench that Bible with everything you've got. Because he is coming, ladies and gentlemen. The Lord your God approacheth. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The origin of the interstellar wind has moved away from the center of the Milky Way galaxy. Scientists have confirmed it's not only moved. It's moved so far it's crossed the ecliptic into the sign of the restrainer. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, indeed. Grip those Bibles as tightly as you can. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the End Time Tribune. Riddle me this. Will you need your hinds feet in heaven? And tell me if you can. Will you be given the wings of an eagle so you can fly to heaven? Let's get this started with a kick, shall we?
Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to WI2C Radio. Very hyped about doing this show. Been uh, looking over notes and studying it all day long. It is one of my favorite chapters in the Bible, God's Holy Word. Of course, uh, everybody knows that that would uh, equate to every single chapter in the Bible, God's Holy Word. But it's good to be on. Uh, Brian, uh, jump right on in here and uh, tell us your opening thoughts about the seventh seal finally being broken. And uh, your take on the whole read of it and, and what's your thoughts and comments on what everybody else says about it. Oh boy, I'm not going to go where everybody else says about it. That just is, uh, bears no fruit. Um, <laughs> my first look at it, uh, well, the more and more I go through our certain pattern that's playing out in front of our eyes, you just come back to that one conclusion. The end was written in the beginning, and you've got to go backwards to understand what's coming on the earth got so many parallels going on here with the exodus and all kinds of other things happening so well i would say from this point forward in this chapter anyway there's very little that lines up with the exodus except the event horizon that we're supposed to see i posted in the show notes brian the golden altar well, that exact phrase in the Greek is only found one other place, Exodus chapter 40. Now, a lot of people don't understand what that means. But, ladies and gentlemen, you need to understand up until this point, uh, the years of wondering had not started yet. This chapter is exclusively for the setting up of the tabernacle. That's it. Now, Exodus 36 through 39, that was the construction of the tabernacle in the final chapter of the Exodus, Exodus chapter 40, is when you get the silver trumpets. That is the exact case and form used here. Uh, and it's just absolutely amazing uh, that people just can't get to an elementary level of deducting that when they claim to have degrees in theology and everything else. And if you can't see that, you have no idea where this is going because we're obviously going to talk about things, Brian, that's not discussed in the wilderness wandering because we've left Egypt. We've been relocated. But if you want to get hardcore data on what was going on in Egypt after the Exodus, there's really – Basically, a one-stop place that I know of. Now, Brian may know of other resources, but you'd have to go to David Roll. And that's what we're going to see. This is exactly what we're going to see. So, Revelation here will start uh, its divergence from what we're accustomed to, ladies and gentlemen, because the children of Israel had no idea what was going on back in Egypt. We do know what just happened. The Egyptian army was just obliterated. Exposing Egypt to invasion. Now, this is very simple to do. This is not doing anything difficult. Take the Greek words there for silver trumpet. Do a search in the Greek. 
and you only come to Exodus chapter 40, verses 5 and 26. That's it. That's all. I'll read to those uh, from the Thompson translation of the Septuagint. Exodus 40, verse 5. And thou shalt set the golden altar to burn incense in its place before the ark. Thou shalt hang up the covering curtain at the door of the tabernacle of the testimony. Right here it is when the veil is first erected. You have on one side of that veil the ark, the, and the opposite side of that veil is this golden altar of incense. That's which altar this is, the altar of incense. And verse 26, he then placed the golden altar in the tabernacle of the testimony over against the veil. So, you should reckon in your mind, right now, what's about to happen, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, because, if you don't know, Exodus chapter 40, verses 34 through 38, I don't know what to tell you. So, this is where the woman should expect to find herself, because this is what happened. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> Very sorry. Um, fighting a terrible cold. Let's read from the KJV. Um, verse 34. Then a cloud covered the tent of the congregation, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Now, I'm going to break, and you need to listen very closely. And Moses was not able to enter the tent of the congregation because the cloud abode thereon and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And when the cloud was taken up over the tabernacle, the children of Israel went onward in their journeys. Break. Remember, ladies and gentlemen, all your theological experts... When they give you the definition for Israel, well, I'm sorry, but they're lying. Because it does not come from H80 to 80. It has a prefix yod. It always has a prefix yod. This word will always mean, and I don't care what your strong says, it means whom God has straightened. That's what it means. That's what it's always meant. Verse 37. But if the cloud were not taken up, then they journeyed not till the day that it was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was upon the tabernacle by day, and fire was on it by night, in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. So ladies and gentlemen, you should be expecting a couple of things going forward into this chapter. We haven't even read it yet. We haven't even started. This is information right out of the gates. You need to realize that Whatever's going on, whatever's happening, it's going to be something, well, drastic. It's going to be something devastating that's going to be happening to Egypt because prophetically, the entire planet at this point is Egypt. That's what the Bible God's Holy Word says, okay? So going forward, in order to get the information of exactly what happened, we'd have to look to archaeology to find out the massively devastating 
circumstances that occurred back in Egypt once this cloud came down. Once once the Lord, their God, had their day. So now we can understand why all the way through from that sixth seal event, which is the event horizon, all the way to this point, uh, we've had a problem with time, as Brian clearly pointed out last week. I clearly pointed out, well, not last week, but on the last program, the reason why the verb tense of that Greek word used was to stand in the center of time and be able to view roundabout. So that's why we had to get those details. So, Brian, um, do we have any other really good resources on where to get information on what happened to the country of Egypt after uh, their army was obliterated by the Lord our God? I mean, do you want me to be brutally blunt? I mean, I sort of had figured all this out pretty far back. I mean, uh, folks, it's not hard to understand that the first wave that invaded Egypt after its destruction was Amalek. Because as a matter of fact, it's right there in broad daylight in the Bible. So, I mean, I before I had even previously stumbled onto David's role's work, I had already started figuring all this stuff out. It just... Nobody else in the academic world seemed to be saying anything. Now, you can find little bits and pieces besides uh, David's work. There's at least, I mean, there's a vast amount of people actually that are working on that project that are tied into, um, oh, I cannot remember the name of it off the top of my head. I'll pull it back to memory here later. Um, that are basically part of the project that's going out right now and is showing everybody the reality of what happened in that time frame during the Exodus and afterwards. Now, Emmanuel Velikovsky started uh, getting into the right directions, but at the same time, he went off in the wrong directions in many of his assumptions. So when you try to work with Velikovsky's work, you have to go in and do a lot of course corrections. That's not to say, though, that he does not have a lot of valuable insight that will help you to at least to a degree start looking in some of these proper directions. I mean, you know, folks, and you have to understand on top of two here, you know, as, even as David points out in his book, The Lords of Avarice, you had Amalek come into the equation, but then on top of it, as them being the aspect of the lesser Hyksos, you also on top of it had what David refers to as the greater Hyksos, which was, uh, in the ancient times, they would refer to them as Asiatics. The, you have to understand ancient geography. You can't confuse that with thinking it's uh, China and that. Well, whoa. Hmm. Yeah, we're not ready for that yet. Because this really kind of boils down to understanding ancient Central Asia and Asia, to a degree, there is some aspects tied within this that do prominently stand out. Your next phase in understanding this is going to be your infamous sea people because they're all locked into this as well. Now, as you go through the Old Testament, you're going to find out that all of these histories actually line up and they're right there in broad daylight once you 
recognize what you're looking at. But it's because of several, you know, basically uh, presumptions that have been passed down over the course of the last couple of hundred years that have sort of muddied the water and leading to the understanding that we have now, which, of course, with all the new findings, it has completely rebuilt our understanding of ancient history. So, you know, to a degree, I can't say that these people going back into the 1800s were trying to do anything harmful. They were just going on the information they had in front of them at the time. We knew full well that certain things were not going to come to light until this time. So, you asked where I can, we can find more sources on this. Well, there's, there's a whole lot of them I could actually give. I see. So, their work has concluded that there was a invasion at first and then a greater invasion from these Asiatic people? Um, yes. My question to you would be... Well, I've I've got a question for you. Uh, who would these people's prince have been? The these Asiatic people. It's it's very important for me to ask this because I don't know, ladies and gentlemen. This is live. I didn't think to ask Brian before, but well, the Lord just does what He wants to do, and that's I moved to do it now, so we're going to do it now. Brian, uh, we've uh, as of late on In Time Tribune Media been discussing the princes involved. So, would these people's prince have been Asher, or the prince of Persia, or the one to his east that we figured out that border is that river right there where the supply route was? Would their prince be the one that's on the east of the prince of Persia? What what are your thoughts about that? Uh, my thoughts are you've gone in the completely wrong direction. They would have so, been the foundation of what became the Greek nations. So okay, it would have been the prince, good. literally, of Javan, of Greece. It all, it's a little more complex than very that. Good. That's not as simple of an answer as you want me to give. But that is the answer I was looking for. That's exactly the answer I was looking for. Something we can shoot when... People say Asiatic, they immediately think way over there on the other side of, uh, well, the Orient. That's what they're thinking. So I just wanted to make sure that we made a course correction if what I was thinking was true. So we're talking about the Prince of Greece. So with that well, in mind, let me add in. Um, let me add in. No, 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 no. Don't, don't okay. go past that. We've talked about this in the past. Okay, everybody remember the infamous story in China of the Yellow Emperor. Okay, some of these people that were involved were all that way across into China. It's just they moved. Now, one of the groups that nobody's identified as of yet in the group of the sea people, depending on how you try to break down the... Uh, because basically in ancient languages... They were set up different, so trying to get to the proper pronunciation, not so easy. Shakalash, shekalash, it all depends on how they want to break it down. That's the one group that I have yet to see anybody zero in on. 
Well, that's Ashkenaz in the Bible. That's the Saka. can be called the Shaka, Saka. It all depends on what place in the world you end up in. So they did have their hands in the mix when we rolled around later in history as the Trojan War played out, which off the top of my head, if I remember correctly, was taking place during the time of... uh, no, I'm not going to drop that out there right now because I my memory is a little foggy on that. But it was happening basically in the early foundations between Solomon going forward into Ahab is when you had the sea people in the mix of this equation. Now, why this has gotten so confusing is to really kind of sum this up, the thing that's thrown out of Egyptian chronology out of whack, not to even mention the rest of chronologies out of whack, is because... Certain academics threw in dark ages that went on for vast stretches of time that didn't exist. So when you remove this concept of this dark age from the equation and re-slide history back into its proper format, then you have the continuity and the consistency that you have to have. So as far as did some of those come out from that far? Oh, yeah. But that's a heck of a lot more complicated and trying to explain that in this uh, course of this program, I don't want to push us that far off base. Well, I say that for a reason. Please answer a simple question for me. This is very simple. So the initial Hyksos invasion was small compared to this, what David Rowe refers to as, as a greater Hyksos invasion. The second one was larger Yes, the first phase was Amalek. The second phase okay, is where good. you started getting these groups from what they referred to as Asiatic peoples. But we okay, can't forget good. the you... third phase. Now, you, right. you forgot there's a third phase. When Troy fell, we had the attempt by the sea people. So there was, to a degree, a little bit of a third phase going on. Here's my point. I'm going somewhere with this. So physically on the ground, what history can tell us is there was two major incursions. They call the first one, the initial one, the second one, the greater Hyksos, and the third one is really failed. The second one we get in the histories, this tale of a golden king from the east, or blonde, or yellow. Just from that, we understand there must have been a beast created. Must have been a beast created. Princes had been in a pact with each other in order for this blonde or golden or yellow king to arise in the Orient. Now, it's amazing we haven't even started talking about Revelation chapter 8. I'm so sorry for this, but sometimes me and Brian has to do this to lay down a base. Ladies and gentlemen, this is initially talking about two incursions that we should know about. One is on the ground, and it certainly is lesser. But we need to understand from this point forward, there is certainly a greater invasion from the host of heaven. They get trapped here. So David Roll has already pieced together, and, and I don't mean to just mention him, but like I said, he's the only name that I know. 
him and his um, – I don't know what to call that. The people working with him have given us a lot of background information what we should be looking for here because God's already told us that he's going to do this very thing to the host of heaven. So we have two invasions we should be looking for. So with that being said, now you're going to have an idea why there's trumpets, and yet we still have vials to go through. Literally, if you're not in a place that's been prepared for you by the Lord your God, and if he does not in some point in this period stay death's hand, the whole planet would be wiped out. He, of course, does step in and orders death to flee from them. And by them, we're talking about the Egyptians. We're talking about everybody else on planet Earth during this time. So we already have the basis in history, even though it's sketchy. We've got some massive professionals out there doing very hard work to try to figure out how these trumpets and these vials would be a good representation of what was happening to the, oh, especially the Egyptian religious system as it was ripped apart at the seams, especially by the greater Sea People invasion. If you haven't listened to it, I would strongly suggest that you get a hold of that uh, audio that uh, Brian and I did with David Roll. I think it's on our... SoundCloud, I think is where it's at, Brian. But uh, sorry we've consumed 30 minutes just with laying down a foundation. We haven't even touched a Greek yet. Well, I'm going to interject something here because you just said it. We must remember on top of it what the genetic data has brought forward concerning even going back just a little bit. Let's see, Tutankhamen... Akhenaten, uh-oh, what did they find in those mummies? Red hair, blonde hair, green eyes, blue eyes. Oh, they went about a different pattern, and you just stated it about their religious system. The Armana letters that were written at the time of David, going previous to Samuel even, their religious system hit a huge shakeup. With Akhenaten. So you literally just explained something, but now I was able to uh, put the uh, exclamation mark, I guess, at the end. Well, Brian, people don't talk like this, okay? And I'm sorry about that, ladies and gentlemen, and all your, all your shepherds, all the people that you listen to and, and learn from. I'm sorry they don't talk about the important things, but... Yet they will drill into your head, 666, 666, 666. They will interject the entertainment industry into it at the earliest convenience about it's a barcode, it's a barcode, it's a chip, it's a chip, it's a chip. Oh my God, if you don't make it to the place that's been prepared for you by God, you're going to beg for God to let it be a chip, but he won't hear you. What Brian and I are talking about is real. That is why 
the Bible is going to bring up to you the religious system set in place by the beast from the abyss and his Assyrian false prophet. And you better come to grips with that. I don't want you to find out about this stuff. I really don't. I want your future chronology to start in Leviticus chapter 1. I don't want you to have any knowledge of what's going on in the outer darkness. I really don't. And just so you understand, I don't want this for you if you're Eastern Orthodox or if you're Catholic or if you're Methodist or if you're Baptist. I really don't. I care about all of you equally as much as I did when Brian sent me the news way back when of that little boy that was an Assyrian that washed up on the beach, and everybody took pictures of it. Here lately, I tried to post it on my Facebook wall, and guess what? Uh, they wouldn't let it be shown because they said this picture may be offensive. So I had to download it and re-upload it as a picture itself so people could see it. That's how I feel about you. Ladies and gentlemen, I, you've all watched the Thief in the Night series. You've all watched the Omen series. You've all watched the Left Behind series. And I'm here to tell you, you don't have even an inkling in your mind what life is going to be like when God gets so mad. He tells death that death cannot claim you. And your body begs to go into shock, but it cannot. So you gnaw your tongue in a futile effort to divert the agony. We have some very serious things to talk about. And I'm sorry I had to bring up the entertainment industry, but there's a lot of you that just cannot make any logical synaptic connections without references and examples from the entertainment industry. So with that in mind, um, let's get to the text. 34 minutes into the broadcast, and well, I, I take that back. I'm not too upset because I did, I did read a little from Exodus. We need to take a serious look at Pete because God is getting ready to do things with the Hebrew and the Greek that's literally just going to blow your mind. I mean, just like the golden altar, he illicitly wanted you to see what he was talking about. And within the past two months, I've had four conversations with four different rabbis about this very, this very thing. They are new to looking at the Greek. They have been listening to Brian and I, so they decided to investigate. And all of a sudden, oh my goodness. Well, God is saying that everything that happens after Revelation 8 is going to happen to... This is our testing we're going to go through to see if we make it to heaven. I assured every one of them, no, that's what's happening in the outer darkness. Well, what's the outer darkness? 
well, you're going to have to look a little bit more in the New Testament. I know you don't like it, but you're going to have to go to the Gospels for that. Well, Brian, would you like to uh, start reading, or would you like me to take off and read some here of Revelation chapter 8? Uh, I think you better Just, go ahead and read. Uh, I mean, I'll explain, folks. I didn't get too much sleep because I kept getting keep getting woke up night after night uh, because of what I'm working on in the background, folks. Oh, my gosh. No easy way to even try to explain that. Well, we've got many things going on, Brian. Um but I know here, I'm sitting here looking, uh, let's just do the first verse. I mean, I've got some information for the first verse, because I can see what he's doing here in Hebrew. Um, ladies and gentlemen, for all of you that don't know, uh, we're using the Delich New Testament. Um, and there's reasons for that. I don't want to spend time explaining it. Uh, the Jews know, so that's that's all needs to be said. I'll be reading from the KJV. And when he had opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about the space half an hour. Now, the first thing that jumps out to me right here is the Hebrew word used here is not exactly the Hebrew word you should be using. Everybody's going to be taken aback by that. Well... This exact word comes up twice in the Old Testament. And it's got nothing to do with time. Genesis chapter 4, verse 5. But unto Cain and to his offering, he had no respect. And Cain was very wroth, and his countenance fell. Job chapter 14 and verse 6. Turn from him that he may rest till he shall accomplish as a hireling his day. In both of these instances, to look or to gaze. Now, everybody needs to know this right off the bat. This word you call 8159. The word that Delich used here for time was 8160. And that word is only used for time. Guess where? It's only used for time in Daniel. It's used for time in Daniel 3.6, 3.15, 4.19, and 5.5. I hope that has your attention. Now, Knowing that Delich had his translation ratified by Ulrich, certified by Dolman, this makes you sit back and chuckle as you wonder at God's word. Absolutely amazing what he's doing here to catch your attention. Now, 
just me saying that, I hope it, it sinks in as to what type of time we're talking about. But, Brian, do you have any comments on that first verse? The progression you just mentioned there in Daniel is rather interesting. Catches my attention real quick. And yet, oh boy. I just think you need to keep going here. Hey man, we can certainly uh, go ahead and continue on. No problem with that whatsoever. Um, so, ladies and gentlemen, um, if you don't know how to do that, I strongly suggest you get a hold of some resources that will put your uh, finger at his tips. Okay, verse 2, And I saw the seven angels which stood before God, and to them were given seven trumpets. Ah, yes. To them were given seven trumpets. I can see that in Greek, too. I see its case, and I see its form. And it makes me think to myself, now, isn't that interesting, ladies and gentlemen? Isn't that interesting, the exact case and forms of those trumpets? It's important that you look at all these cases and forms. It might be a little bit more important than you think, and that's the truth. So you need to understand that, well, sometimes you need to look at the Hebrew, and sometimes you need to look at the Greek. I always look at both, always. And there's a reason for that. Because, ladies and gentlemen, God's word is way more complicated than a binary code. Hebrew and Greek, at the minimum, is actually four. You should know that. It is the language, and it is the alphanumerics. Let's talk about the Hebrew form here. Because this Hebrew form is only used in reference to uh, Joshua bringing down Jericho. Okay, it's in Joshua chapter 6, in verse 4, 6, 8, 9, 13, and 16, but only one other person is allowed to use this particular trumpet. That's right. Gideon's 300. That's right, ladies and gentlemen. This is in Joshua chapter 6, in connection with the bringing down of Jericho. And this trumpet is used with Gideon's 300. Ladies and gentlemen, you'd have to realize the stratagem utilized by the Lord your God to implement this trumpet right here. He is letting you know beyond any shadow of a doubt, you better know full well, this is when the Lord's about ready to supernaturally intervene in the wars of men. And literally, bring the house down. So, 
ladies and gentlemen, it's pretty important that you be able to switch back from Hebrew to Greek, Greek to Hebrew. Now, just take note that the only other time this is used is Second Chronicles chapter 15 and verse 14. It has prefixes here. It's a different form, but it's still this sort, this type of trumpet. Moreover, they made an oath to the Lord with a loud voice, with shouting, with trumpets, and with horns. If I was you, I would look up right now and find out what this was all about. Why were these people uh, making an oath? Who, what, where, when, why? Why was they doing it? You need to know this because it's important. And the numbers associated with those chapters are massively important as well. So, I mean, just, just the technical information I've gone over so far is just off the charts. I mean, I ain't even started yet. But now we're going to get to the golden altar. The golden altar, which is the altar of incense. Right here is when the veil we caught in Exodus chapter 40, verse 26, when they put that veil up. Then the glory of the Lord descended. So this is where we're at right now. And another angel came and stood at the altar having a golden censer and were given unto him much incense that he should offer. It with the prayers of all the saints upon the golden altar which was before the throne. And the smoke of the incense which came with the prayers of the saints ascended up before God out of the angel's hand. And the angel took the censer and filled it with the fire of the altar and cast it into the earth. And there were voices and thunderings and lightnings and an earthquake. Brian, your comments and thoughts about this stanza here, well, these first five verses in total. Which specific stanza are you speaking of? I was looking here at the Greek at the same time. Yeah, the first five verses. First five verses of what? Of Revelation chapter 8. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Well, sorry if I didn't clarify myself. <laughs> everybody should understand that when, because you were dealing with the Hebrew, am I correct here just a moment ago? Yeah, I've switched back and forth three times from the Hebrew to the Greek. Well, that's just it. I was in the background looking at the Greek because there's some things going on there that, uh, oh, yeah. Oh, amen. Oh, Very amen. Yeah, go ahead. Things. Well, let me point this out, folks, and maybe you'll understand why. In the Greek, it's pointing to some very specific events that are happening. And, well, I'm using two programs at once here, folks, so bear with me as I'm going through. Because, uh, look, folks, I've got a riddle sitting in front of me right now that is so complex with what I've been working on for the Crucible series there's one of the specific verses that comes up in Numbers 31.6, which I've been considering very deeply in my mind here because 
as I've been looking at what's coming down the barrel, as far as when the Higo is going to collide with uh, the Ram, I think a lot of us have built up some preconceived notions when the Bible has been telling us something very different all along. And where this comes up in Numbers 31 further reinforces what I've been thinking. So, my take on this stanza. With that, I think there is the entire point which you've been trying to make this whole time. We have to, how do you put this? Have the proper vantage point into understanding what is being said here. You know, it was, uh, I had a rather interesting conversation with my mother this morning as she sort of randomly surprised me from out of nowhere and wanted to call. We brought up talking about, uh, you know, because she's sort of confused with all the English texts that are obviously floating around out there. It has just turned everything into, well, to a degree, it can be utter confusion. And I had to explain to her, well, you have to understand that we don't use the English teacher, teach, translations as our vantage point. We use the original languages. But as Matthew is trying to reinforce, is that folks, as we go through and study these things, there should be certain, even in the English, there should be certain things that stand out to you in your memory that goes, wait a minute, wait a minute, haven't I seen this somewhere else before? And this is where, you know, that question being brought up here, you know, I'm sitting here taking a little look at uh, 8 verse 5, but I didn't want to get ahead of myself yet because there's something very interesting being stated here that I haven't, I haven't got that far. I was looking at those trumpets because I noticed something earlier, uh, I believe it was last night when I quick, uh, took a quick look-see. You also get some other interesting information in just your standard cross-references. Um, if you look at the, uh, what in the world is this one? I think this is called the Treasury of Scripture Knowledge is one of them that was put out with just some of the simple cross-references that this guy put together. And he has a few interesting as interesting little spots he points at as well with uh, Numbers 10, verse 1 through 10, and uh, brings in Second Chronicles 29, verse 25 through 28, and then, of course, Amos 3, 6, verse 3, 8, which does shed a whole lot of light on this. Yet, to take this backwards a little bit, because it's rather ironic that, Matthew, think back to the discussion we had after we got off air last Saturday you brought up those trumpets being used in very specific places. We were discussing the work that Andrew Collins had just released, and he's actually talking about how the ancients had an understanding of using sound. And he, boy, oh boy, oh boy. If you, everybody goes backwards to what we talked about last week, we were really pointing out these very same factors when we were having that discussion there. 
So uh, let me hand that back well, yeah. over to you, Matthew. Well, Brian, that's it, I, I, I already I already stated that. I already give that information, ladies and gentlemen. I wasn't joking uh, with anybody when I said uh, if you're going to look into those trumpets. Let me say this one more time. In the Hebrew, this is in Joshua chapter 6, in verse 4, 6, 8, 9, 13, and 16. The obvious and overuse of harmonics. We found Jericho, ladies and gentlemen, and I hate to rain on all the archaeologists' party. The walls had fallen outward. You can get the pictures, look at it yourself. The walls were not busted in by an invading army. They fell out. Word. Now, the only other engagement this is used in is Judges chapter 7. It's in 16, 18, 19, 20, and 22. Has everybody forgotten what Gideon's 300 did? Do you not know? Have you not heard? Look. And the three hundred blew the trumpets, and the Lord set every man's sword against his fellow, even throughout all the host. And the host fled to Bethshitta in Zerah, and to the border. Let, ladies and gentlemen, now do you remember? Look, they broke the vases. Blew the horns. Whatever happened here, harmonically, God used these tones, these frequencies, so that all the men turned into rabbit animals and they killed each other. Uh, this was the whole purpose of uh, Gideon's army. Of uh, Does everybody remember how many men Gideon actually had in the beginning? Ladies and gentlemen, you need to look it up because God said, no, you got way too many people, you got way too many people, you got way too many people, you got way too many people. And got down to the 300. This is the real 300, not the 300 that the entertainment industry has wanted to provide you with. And I'm not saying that's not an important battle with what that movie displayed, but this is the important stuff you need to know. So what Andrew Collins has been recently working on, which, yes, Brian and I just did talk about this. <coughs> Excuse me. And it's very frustrating. Some of the, uh, well, Andrew Collins certainly does have an active imagin and imagination, no doubt about that. So some of the things he gets off on, too, is kind of frustrating. But yes, ladies and gentlemen, that was the whole purpose of me stating that's where this word is used in Hebrew. Now remember, it's only one other instance is in Second Chronicles chapter 15, verse 14, and it is used to re-swear an oath. So what's going to be happening on the ground right now, ladies and gentlemen, is remember you're going to be relocated. When you get there, you need to find out the situation that's going on in Second Chronicles 15. And why the word for this trumpet would be used in verse 14. Take my word for it. It's important. So, 
if that's all, Brian, I shall continue on with verse 6, unless you had other things that you wanted to talk about and discuss. Well, I mean, I'll just add in a little, real fast here. Well, our discussion that we had last week about as far as the ancients' abilities and their understanding of sound is something I've known about since I'm not even certain what stage. It must have been in my 20s that I had really looked deeply into all of this because you do find very interesting uh, reports scattered throughout the world, especially when you get up into Tibet and you found out that those people up there still understood the use of uh, trumpets, drums, and had the capability of launching boulders up mountains. And the witnesses that saw this were just like, wait a minute, what? <laughs> it's real, folks. What God is talking about here is real. Well, ladies and gentlemen, just so you know, the inverse of this, the exact opposite with what happened at Jericho and with Gideon's 300, is why it's in Second Chronicles chapter 15, verse 14. I'll read the two verses for everybody, but you need to study the chapter on your own. Verse 14, And they swore unto the Lord with a loud voice, and with shouting, and with trumpets, and with coronets. And all Judah rejoiced at the oath. Okay? So this has the exact opposite effect that it had on Gideon's enemies. Okay, listen. Remember, what did Gideon's men do? They shouted the trumpets and the smashing of the vases, remember? Or the jugs, whatever you want to call it. Here, there were shouting, there were trumpets, and there were cornets used. It had a different effect. Listen to the effect. And all of Judah rejoiced at the oath, for they had sworn with all their heart and sought him with their whole desire, and he was found of them, and the Lord gave them rest round about. Now that's all I'm going to talk about it. I think we've reinforced that thought enough. Obviously, some very wonderful things going on here with harmonics in a twofold way God's wanting you to see. And the most simplest way for me to put that for you is the sound that you're going to hear in a, pra in a place that's been prepared for you that's going to feel relaxing and soothing is going to be like nails on a chalkboard to those that's been cast in the outer darkness. Just so you know, God's making his self very known in multiple ways that cannot be done with your English translation. Let's see here. What time is it? Oh, my goodness. It's already time for the break. Uh, wow, it's already time for the break. Um, all right, ladies and gentlemen, we are going to take a break. And I'm sorry if we're only to verse 6 in the first hour. But ladies and gentlemen, everything that, that we've discussed so far needed to be discussed so you could understand what's going on. We've got two waves to go through in the outer darkness that we really won't be any a part of.
But the trumpets are going to be blasted in the outer darkness, and they are going to have vials poured on them. These things will not be happening to you. Not because you're in heaven. No, you're not going to heaven. You are going to be relocated, though, in Operations Eagle's Wings. So, with that in mind, we are going to play once again our interweaving of Revelation chapter 6, Amos 9, and Revelation chapter 7. It's important that you learn it. I put the blog post over there on the blog site in the KJV and the New American Standard Bible, so you could read along with it in whichever way you chose to do so. But no one understand this. From here on out in Revelation, you're not going to get a whole lot of information about you. You're going to get a whole lot of information about them. What's going on in Egypt as it's being torn asunder. Not only by the kings of the earth, but well, also by the host of heaven that's fallen and Oh, we ain't even gotten there yet. Because there's another group that has to come. And boy, are they going to be hell on wheels. I saw under the altar the souls of them that were slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. Then they cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, dost thou not judge and avenge our blood on them that dwell on the earth? Then white robes were given unto every one of them, and it was said unto them that they should rest yet for a little season until their fellow servants also and their brethren that should be killed as they were should be fulfilled. I saw the Lord standing upon the altar, and he said, Smite the lintel of the door that the posts may shake, and cut them in the head, all of them. And I will slay the last of them with the sword. He that fleeth of them shall not flee away, and he that escapeth of them shall not be delivered. Though they dig into hell, thence shall mine hand take them, though they climb up to heaven, thence will I bring them down. And though they hide themselves in the top of Carmel, I will search and take them out thence. And though they be hid from my sight in the bottom of the sea, thence will I command the serpent, and he shall bite them. And though they go into captivity before their enemies, thence will I command the sword, and it shall slay them. And I will set mine eyes upon them for evil and not for good. And though they go into captivity before their enemies, thence will I command the sword, and it shall slay them. And I will set mine eyes upon them for evil and not for good. And the Lord God of hosts is he that toucheth the land, and it shall melt, and all that dwell therein shall mourn, and it shall rise up holy like a flood, and shall be drowned as by the flood of Egypt. It is he that buildeth his stories in the heaven, and hath founded his troop in the earth, he that calleth for the waters of the sea, and poureth them out upon the face of the earth. The Lord is his name. There was a great earthquake. And the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became as blood. And the stars of heaven fell unto the earth, even as a fig tree casteth her untimely figs when she is shaken of a mighty wind. 
and the heaven departed as a scroll when it was rolled together, and every mountain and island were moved out of their places, and the kings of the earth, and the great men, and the rich men, and the chief captains, and the mighty men, and every bondman, and every free man hid themselves in the dens and in the rocks of the mountains, and said to the mountains and rocks, Fall on us, and hide us from the face of him that sitteth on the throne, and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of his wrath is come, and who shall be able to stand? Are ye not as children of the Ethiopians unto me, O children of Israel, saith the Lord? Have not I brought up Israel out of the land of Egypt, and the Philistines from Kaphtor, and the Syrians from Ker? Behold, the eyes of the Lord God are upon the sinful kingdom, and I will destroy it from off the face of the earth. Saving that, I will not utterly destroy the house of Jacob, saith the Lord. For lo, I will command, and I will sift the house of Israel among all nations, like as corn is sifted in a sieve, yet shall not the least grain fall upon the earth. All the sinners of my people shall die by the sword, which say, the evil shall not overtake nor prevent us. And after these things I saw four angels standing on the four corners of the earth, holding the four winds of the earth, that the wind should not blow on the earth, nor on the sea, nor on any tree. And I saw another angel ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God, and he cried with a loud voice to the four angels, to whom it was given to hurt the earth and the sea, saying, Hurt not the earth, neither the sea, nor the trees, till we have sealed the servants of our God in their foreheads. And I heard the number of them which were sealed, and they were sealed, an hundred and forty and four thousand of all the tribes of the children of Israel. Of the tribe of Judah were sealed twelve thousand, of the tribe of Reuben were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Gad were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Asa were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Nephtalim were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Manassas were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Simeon were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Levi were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Issachar were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Zabulon were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Joseph were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Benjamin were sealed 12,000. In that day will I raise up the tabernacle of David that is fallen and close up the breaches thereof and I will raise up his ruins, and I will build it as in the days of old, that they may possess the remnant of Edom, and of all the heathen which are called by my name, saith the Lord, that doeth this. After this I beheld, and lo, a great multitude, which no man could number, of all nations, and kindreds, and people in tongues, stood before the throne, and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes and palms in their hands, and cried with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God, which sitteth upon the throne, and unto the Lamb. And all the angels stood round about the throne, and about the elders and the four beasts, and fell before the throne on their faces, and worshipped God, saying, Amen. Blessing, and glory, and wisdom, and thanksgiving, and honor, and power, and might be unto our God forever and ever. Amen. And one of the elders answered, saying unto me, What are these which are arrayed in white robes? And whence came they? And I said unto him, Sir, thou knowest. And he said to me, 
These are they which came out of great tribulation, and have washed their robes, and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore are they before the throne of God, and serve him day and night in his temple. And he that sitteth on the throne shall dwell among them. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more, neither shall the sun light on them, nor any heat. For the Lamb which is in the midst of the throne shall feed them, and shall lead them unto living fountains of waters, and God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that the plowman shall overtake the reaper, and the treader of grapes, him that soweth seed, and the mountain shall drop sweet wine, and all the hills shall melt. And I will bring again the captivity of my people of Israel, and they shall build the waste cities, and inhabit them, and they shall plant vineyards, and drink the wine thereof. They shall also make gardens, and eat the fruit of them. And I will plant them upon their land, and they shall no more be pulled up out of their land which I have given them, saith the Lord thy God. Good stuff, ladies and gentlemen. Good stuff. Just a side note, uh, just to reinforce, just to shore things up, Brian mentioned a third invasion that fails. We're not going to get to that this week, as that's the uh, probably going to be the beginning of the next WI2C Radio, Chapter 9. But, ladies and gentlemen... Um, Let's get Brian's comments on what we've shared so far. Um, you know, a whole lot of information here. Uh, just in the first five verses, I mean, I had too much to cover. I mean, I can talk about so much about Exodus chapter 40 that's there. It it has a massively important uh, encodation with, well, those that were numbered and uh, its relation to the term two years and under. That's uh, right there. You have uh, 1,260 in that chapter, by the way, in the same verse. You also have the 1,335-day sequence in that chapter, letting you know that it's the termination for one and the beginning of the other. Um. Oh my goodness, so many things I could talk about. But Brian, your your thoughts on what we've covered so far, I guess especially um, the lining up of, of history and uh, the tribulation timeline. Well, as far as lining up the history, that's, uh, I think that is a key critical element. You know, I guess... Uh, it had become very clear as time progressed. I had caused a great deal of consternation amongst the uh, academic uh, theological communities because they, not that this was a negative thing, what I think they had come to the conclusion of understanding is because of the fact that I kept digging, trying to unravel a puzzle and then on top of it, managed to unravel a puzzle with all of the new archaeological and even scientific genetic data coming forward. I 
kind of would have to say it really sort of uh, took them a little bit aback once they realized uh, what it was that I had stumbled into. Because as even stated here, the historical ramifications to understanding the phases of when I'd stage starting first with the Hyksos invading, then coming in with the next wave, but then, uh-oh, the third wave. Yeah, because they didn't, that third wave didn't come about as an invasion. But boy, oh boy, did they take a uh, page from somebody else's playbook. And I think that's one of the uh, very uh, key critical elements to uh, sort of here uh, comprehend as we're moving forward, even in our progression in the timeline that we're looking at as we speak, as these events unfold on the world stage. At breakneck speed, might I add. At breakneck speed. Well, ladies and gentlemen, uh, KJV, Revelation chapter 8, and verse 6. And the seven angels, which had the seven trumpets, prepared themselves to sound. The first angel sounded, and there followed hail and fire, mingled with blood. They were cast upon the earth, and a third part of the trees was burnt, and all the green grass was burnt up. Ladies and gentlemen, (coughs) I hope you comprehended what he just said. Now... If you're not reminded of, well, um, the plague of hell in the book of Exodus, um, that's really amazing to me because, well, let's go to uh, that verse right before it that we already read, verse 5. It says voices there. In the Greek, that voices... It's all over Exodus chapter 9. It's in 23, 28, 29, 33, and 34. That's right. What about? Well, it's filled with the plague of hell. And Moses stretched forth his rod toward heaven, and the Lord sent thunder and hail, and fire ran along upon the ground, and the Lord rained hail upon all of Egypt. 28. Entreat the Lord, for it is enough that there be no more mighty thunderings and hail, and I will let... You go, and you shall stay no longer. You know the voices part? Yeah, listen. 29. And Moses said unto him, as in Pharaoh, As soon as I am gone up out of the city, I will spread my hands unto the Lord, and the thunder shall cease, neither shall there be any more hail, that thou mayst know it, that how the earth is the Lord's. Ladies and gentlemen, let's switch over to the Thompson. Okay. You'll take note that the King James Version there was lacking word for voice, but this is what the Septuagint says. And Moses said unto him, As soon as I have gone out of the city, I will spread my hands to the Lord, and the voices will cease. And there will be no more rain and hail that thou mayest know. 
that the earth is the Lord's. So this is kind of things being turned on their head. You see, ladies and gentlemen? This is the first barrage from the host of heaven to obliterate the outer darkness, which up until this point was inhabitable. Brian, your thoughts and comments? I could have, uh, I don't know, I could have sworn I brought this up at the beginning of the program. Let us hey, uh, you didn't slide back. It? Well, let us slide backwards to what I brought up in the program we did uh, in the midst of the week about the sign of war. Because I had already caught this. That's why I knew to look. As I stated in that program, and we're in the midst of a uh, discussion over on the social network at the very moment, literally discussing what's happening with Zechariah 1, what's happening with Zechariah 6, concerning the writers. You're going to notice in Zechariah 6, it states something very peculiar about the fourth writer what direction he goes, but not to even mention what that Hebrew word means. Because that Hebrew word means hail. And you're going to find that, guess where? It takes you straight to Exodus 9. Now this is the gist of what I'm kind of getting at here, folks, with what I'm working on in the background is directly correlated, directly tied into all of this. That writer goes south for a purpose. And this is in the midst of what I'm uh, trying to unravel concerning what is about to come on the earth. And as I've been pointing out, folks... There's a lot of conceptions in people's minds about how this next chain of events is going to play out. If you don't understand what the Bible says concerning who the players involved are going to be in these upcoming days, you're not going to see this coming. I know everybody is convinced right now that the United States is going to jump in there and go guns blazing. No. If that's what you think is about to play out, then you're missing what's happening right in front of your eyes. And we have to go backwards and understand events that just happened here in Syria. Not long ago, with that chemical attack. We have to understand what it states there about those warships coming to Kittim. What king goes where, and why, and how. Because you realize that it's the king of the south... When you're dealing with that specific south, you're looking at the word Negev or Negev. Where's that point you to? Uh-oh. Now we understand why it is that that writer goes south. We understand why it is that we've got these references here to that same writer in the Hebrew 
being that same root word that means hail, we're coming around full circle here, everybody. Did I give enough of an indication there, Matthew? Yes, you did indeed. Yes, you did indeed. And ladies and gentlemen, thinking that, okay, God's got to put some stability. Okay, because he don't need the bride confused. That's why the Septuagint reads a whole lot different than the Masoretic. You see, because voices is also three other times in one more chapter in Exodus. It's in 19, verse 13, 16, and 19. But remember, God's voice is extremely complicated. So in this context, we've got at least minimum four different data sets here to work with. So remember, that's why God is doing this. So this word for voices, it's also a good thing. Okay, so he puts it into Exodus chapter 9 with the plague of hell. He puts voices in there in the Greek for a reason. It's also here for a reason. Now listen. But it's in uh, verses 13, 16, and 19. Okay? So, I'll start reading in 12. Therefore, thou shalt remove the people to some distance round about and say, Take heed to yourselves not to go up to the mount nor touch any part of it. Whoever shall touch the mount shall surely die. A hand shall not touch him, for he shall be stoned with stones or shot with a dart. Whether man or beast, it shall not live. When the voices and the trumpets and the cloud are gone from the mount, they may go up to the mount. Ladies and gentlemen, this is when God comes down on Mount Sinai. I'll skip over to verse 16. And it came to pass on the third day, about dawn, there were thunders and lightnings, thick cloud on Mount Sinai, and the voice of the trumpet sounded aloud, and all the people in the camp were terrified. Right there, voices. And verse 19. Still the sounds of the trumpet waxed louder and louder. Moses had spoken, and God had answered him by voice. Bingo. That voice right there is that same exact word used. So in this connotation, you're giving grave warning. So this is a very good message to us so that we know that even though these events are taking place on the outside, in the outer darkness, this gives you clues to what's going on with you, or at least hopefully, if you've been the wise virgins, of course. So with that being said, um, now you're probably given a little bit better insight as to why Brian and I had to discuss harmonics a little bit. Because coming right out of the gates, he's obviously wanting you to see more aspects to what he's already told you. You're going to be – you're going to get your hinds feet. You're going to be given the wings of an eagle. 
So here he's using harmonics to amplify that effect and that knowledge. So, with that in mind, we've got basically building materials and that thing which produces, uh, well, most of the uh, breathable air on this planet nuked. Remember, ladies and gentlemen, that it is the green foliage that converts the air into oxygen for you. And the building materials, they just got nuked. So with that in mind, back to the KJV. Verse 8, and the second angel sounded. Then did, as it were, a great mountain burning with fire was cast into the sea. Part of the sea became blood. Now, my initial thoughts right here is, why are we marching backward in Exodus? Because this talks of Exodus chapter 7, when the plague of hail was Exodus chapter 9. Once again, reinforcing in your subconscious that what is going on in the outer darkness is exactly the opposite that's going on in a place that's been prepared for you by God. Now, at this point, all I've got to say is I know the inferences here, and they're absolutely wonderful. I mean, you get that with the interweaving of Revelation chapter 6, Amos 9, and Revelation 7. Some of the great and wonderful things that he's going to do when we try to plant. We're not going to get tired. Uh, the sun's not going to burn us. So we've got, obviously, some very wonderful things going on here. But I don't know what the inversion of this would be. All we're told is, it's very bad in the outer darkness. So... Brian, your thoughts and comments on this second angel sounding with the second trumpet? Well, it's one we discussed just the other day. You know what, Brian? Go ahead, talk about it. If you don't, I will. Just bring it up. We'll just talk about it. Well, this great mountain, what is it we're dealing here with here? Oh, boy. You know, to a degree, we almost have to go full circle. Discussing even... uh that infamous Chichalub impact crater. The thing is, uh, as we had discussed, as you had pointed out to me, and rightly so, we might want to consider what color this uh, specific uh, celestial mountain is going to be. You know, I was I was uh, sitting here looking through this, trying to. Uh, ascertain the Greek meaning of this word, which is rather uh, 
Because if you look at the literal translation, for instance, the King James will state it, uh, let's see here. And the third part of the creatures which were in the sea and had life died. And the third part of the ships were destroyed. This is where uh, it's interesting with how he translates this uh, Green's literal translation. He states in a third part of the creatures having souls died in the sea and a third part of the ships was destroyed. And that one to me is um, it's rather puzzling if you, um, I guess, how do I put that? Understand the uh, differentiation between what form has been breathed into uh, these creatures. If you want to elaborate on both of those points, maybe, Matthew. Sure, I certainly can. Um, I'll start right here where I should. This third part is in the nominative singular neuter case. That can only take you one place and exactly where it should. That's the same exact case and form that's used in this verse, KJV. And his tail drew a third part of the stars of heaven and did cast them to the earth. That's what it is. Now, with this in mind, uh, ladies and gentlemen, boy, we have to talk about celestial somology here. There's no way around it. You have to come to grips with the simple fact, ladies and gentlemen, that I'm going to have to spend some time here, and we're already down to just 30 minutes left, but i got to cover this. You've all been lied to. Leviticus chapter 16 has never been finished. Never. Yes, Christ was the sacrifice for the Lord. The second sacrifice, the one for the scapegoat, has never been done. Now, I'm going to give you some geological coordinates. There is a crescent shape now I'm not trying to hate monger here and I'm not being dis discriminatory against Muslims but this is just the fact of the matter that sur surrounds the Kaaba what is known as the Black Stone those hills are most probably Mount Paran up in those hills that's in a crescent shape around the black stone. They put it right in the middle of that crescent-formed uh, ridge. Is of course, the mountain where, well, their prophet. I will try to be respectful to them in as manner as I can. Their prophet. That's where he went inside that cave. That is 666 nautical miles from the foundation stone. <laughs> it is rumored among the Jewish circles, Jewish scholars, you're not going to get this in English, of course, but I've had lengthy discourse, especially uh, with the Kabbalist about it, 
Ladies and gentlemen, the black stone is exactly that. It's a black stone, and it very well could be a piece of the celestial scapegoat beyond any shadow of a doubt. It's not coming by itself because we're talking about these two sacrifices had to be – I need to be careful. I don't cross the line. Similar. Go to Leviticus chapter 16 and study. The two sacrifices, the one for the Lord and the one for the scapegoat, had to be – so we're talking about a jupiter size celestial body. Now, the only problem with that, we've got three examples of the exact type of celestial body it would take and why you can't see it. All three examples, it's going to rattle your cage as to uh, their orbital parameters. It's important. Okay? It's extremely important. Because they have extremely small orbits around their parent star. And I don't mean moderate size. I mean extremely small. Take this. The one example I'm giving to you, it is 1.4, the mass of Jupiter's. Its radius is 1.36 of Jupiter, and its orbital period is only two and a half days. All three examples are set along these same exact parameters. There's only a really big problem. You can't see them, and the only reason why you know they exist is because they were seen by telescope during a transit. As soon as they leave the face of their parent star, their libido is pitch. It's the same color as a celestial background, so telescopes can't pick them up. Now, with this in mind, ladies and gentlemen, there are – well, more I, – I don't need to give information about that. There are Hebrew scholars out there that believe that black stone, the Kaaba stone, is a piece of the scapegoat, and they worship it. Now, with that in mind, I just told you that the trumpet prior was used to wipe out all the – well, the – Number one building material used to construct houses is, of course, trees. A third of them just got wiped out. Now, the Lord Jesus Christ, when he was walking out off the temple, I've stated this many times. It's common knowledge. It's common fact. He walked out of Robinson's arch. He turned around, and guess what? What he said has not come true yet. The western wall is coming down. It's coming down. It ain't come down yet, but it's going to. Those were the exact stones he was looking at as he turned around with his disciples. He was looking directly at the wailing wall. Many people think that they very well may try to use um, – this impactor that God cast into the sea as foundation stones for something else. Now, I've probably spoken way too much, but I spoke as the Lord laid on my heart. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, so there's some real information you need to know 
And the only way you can get a hold of it is to turn off the entertainment industry. Now, Brian might be upset at me for coming out and just saying it. <coughs> Please excuse me. But no one understand. I'm not saying anything bad about the Muslims. and That's why I didn't mention their prophet's name. I, I know they get mad about that. So I'm not trying to be disrespectful. I'm just trying to tell you what's on true scholars of God's word have been inquiring to me about for quite some time now. Brian, back to you. Well, there are some little odds and ends here. I have to sort of uh, touch on some clarity here, and it was rather ironic. Uh, in the midst of uh, the break and a few other spots, I went and pulled this back up again because, well, folks, you need to start looking at some of the people that have been working with this project that David Roll has been a part of, which is, it's called Patterns of Evidence. Now, you can get a hold of the digital version of this video in a multitude of places, different streaming networks, rent it, whichever. You can order it in varied ways. Okay, this body of people that have been working on this project, there's many of these folks that are involved in this that have traced the actual path of where everybody went during the time of the Exodus as they were leaving Egypt. And this is where I have to make sure that people understand something here. Okay, because now as Matthew just pointed out, yes, we have these things within their belief system that have sort of been brought into this equation. Now, there was a reason quite some time back that we did a program concerning the Queen of the South, concerning who it was that their prophet was descended from, and letting everybody understand the fact of he is of Yemeni origins. He's a Yemenite. Okay, that was very key critical. But we do need to go backwards here, folks, and understand that this item that is sitting there, they would have transported it from a specific place and brought it there to where it's worshipped. Okay, because a lot of people have gotten confused when you see the English terminology that is used, for instance, for the Red Sea. Everybody automatically thinks that they crossed a, went across the Red Sea. No, that's not where they crossed. The words under there, Yom Suf, Sea of Reeds. After spending extensive time going over the work of the other ones involved in this, I started looking over the maps. Okay, this is where you start getting the information that's going to lead you to Taman, to Paran, not to even mention the location that we'll talk about when we get to Revelation 12. Whatever this item is that's sitting there would have been transported from its original location. Now, I have come across over the years, there's a lot of discussion that went on about 
the Romans had gotten a hold of this piece where they had gotten a hold of it from other groups that had been transporting this item all around. This actual rock itself had been out there for quite some time. <clears throat> On top of this, there's other aspects, and personally, I, I would be in agreement with Matthew. I don't want to talk about them because of the fact of what it is that the uh, those who are living by the sword, which are going to meet that very same fate, have done and are doing. There's important Amen details in understanding some of the roots of the actual people living throughout that continent, most definitely. But I won't go there because I'm, I'm fed up with it. You know, crusaders are going to do what they do. They crusade. It's that simple. And as we explained on the crucible, well, when you understand the crusades, there was always two sides crusading. Amen. Let me say this before I continue. Verse 9. And a third part of the creatures which were in the sea had, that had life died, and a third part of the ships were destroyed. The ships here are mentioned because, well, in the first instance, I said the building materials are struck. Everybody knows how most of the material is transported on this planet. I'm not going to say anything more other than this. You need to figure this out really quick. Every single reference here is a particular reference to Mundus Novus, ladies and gentlemen. Oh, you think the angels are going to run around to every square inch on this planet and burn only one-third of the grass? and only one? So the angels are going to run around, they're going to count, one, two, three, burn that tree. One, two, three, burn that tree. No. For the love of God, look it up. You're talking about Mundus Novus and the accompanying islands. That's one-third of this planet's surface. Verse 10. I'm going to read this through because we're pushed on time. I'm going to have to go get something for my cough or I'm not going to be able to continue. But I am reading this, so I must read it. So, Brian, once I've finished reading it, um, you'll have the mic for a few minutes until I get back. Verse 10. And a third angel sounded, and there fell a great star from heaven, burning as it were a lamp. And it fell upon a third of the rivers, and upon the fountains of waters. And the name of the star is Wormwood. And the third part of the waters became Wormwood. And many men died of the waters because they were made bitter. And the fourth angel sounded, and the third part of the sun was smitten, and a third part of the moon, and a third part of the stars. As a third part of them were darkened, and the day shone not for a third part of it, and the night likewise. And behold, and I heard an angel flying through the midst of heaven, saying with a loud voice, Woe, woe. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth by reason of the other voices of the trumpet of the three angels which are yet to 
sound. Brian, you have the mic for a few. All right. And, uh, yes, that was uh, a key critical element that Matthew just explained as far as the one-third, because as a matter of fact, you see, my roommate always knows the right question to ask. And I had to explain it. One-third. All right, folks, if you pull up a globe, or even if you can find one of those infamous flat maps, you'll begin to realize there is only one spot that fills that one-third role. And as Matthew used the terminology there, Mundus Novus, well, then we had to bring up the infamous explorers. And because, uh, rather interesting when you begin to realize where it was that Columbus discovered. Well... All you got to do is pull up the maps, and you'll find out he discovered Cuba. We had another infamous uh, explorer that was in the midst, and oh boy, oh boy, oh boy, you want to talk about some controversial history. It's quite something. But I, I keep this tucked away, folks. For one, that is where the name America was taken from, was from him, from his maps that were drawn up and everything. And as I stated, I would keep this location in your back pocket and remember it because as we discuss things concerning the crucible, you're going to hear this place come up over and over and over again because his stomping grounds, Amerigos Vespucci, was in Argentina. And Argentina, for quite some time, has been at the heart of a whole lot of goings-on. I mean, of course, people know all about the Nazi war criminals, what I don't think they know about right now. And for those living in this specific continent, they might want to perk their ears up. Iranian terrorist elements have been working very deeply there for quite some time in all the very same spots that as those Nazi war criminals fled, and even not to mention during the time of the war with uh, Nazi Germany, there was a lot of uh, refugees from World War I that settled in those places that they had an entire Nazi movement going during World War II. And there's a lot of uh, work that has come to the forefront that they have discussed the fact that even during uh, World War II, there were discussions about possibly launching an attack from that direction. But even uh, afterwards, there were even fears of an attack coming from that direction. Now, we spin this around to modern times, folks. You're going to come to find out that as this is at the forefront and center again with the Iranian nuclear uh, treaty being severed, well, you're going to find out Argentina was heavily involved in that as well. I don't see this as being coincidence by any stretch of the imagination. But, yes, you cannot remove this one-third from the equation. You know, I think folks have probably kind of caught on to the fact that we don't 
we haven't mentioned that word Illuminati or New World Order in its improper context for quite some time. Okay, that term was penned by Abraham Verde in 1935 in the United States. That term was further used after the end of the Cold War by George Bush Sr., who was also part of the same organization in which Abraham Verde founded. If you don't know who that is, I would highly advise going out there and looking into it. New World Order had always meant that it was going to be the new world that was going to be attempting to rule over the top of everybody else. So all of your uh, self-appointed entertainment watchmen out there that are has everybody spinning in circles thinking that the New World Order has something to do with globalism and the Illuminati? Folks, they've got you spinning in all the wrong directions. We've said this quite a few times in the past, so I don't think I need to go much further into that. Now, what uh, the one thing, and I had already uh, had this peak to my attention as I was prepping before we got on air, Revelation 8, verse 11. You know, there's been all kinds of uh, entertainment industry stuff that's went over there, over went around out there over the years, for instance, like the Chernobyl nuclear crisis and its connection to Wormwood and dying from the waters. They were bitter. You know, they tried to somehow get you to the conclusion that that's come to pass. That's about as classic as the um, locust being Apache helicopters. Sorry, I, I couldn't restrain myself from that. But there's something really interesting happening here with this word bitter. Because obviously you've got one Greek term being used in the Greek. But you are going to turn around and find out that the word being used here in the Hebrew. Because you take it to the Greek uh, root of this word. And that's going to be the easiest way to sort of lock it in. I mean, I know in the program I'm using here, I've got the Septuagint to Hebrew Greek because I'm not near as proficient with the Hebrew and Greek as Matthew is. I'm a bit of a knucklehead in that department. So I have to use all the tools at my disposal to get what I'm looking for. But this is going to come up exactly where I thought it was going to show up. And your first mentions of this are going to be in Exodus 15. Ironically enough, it's also encoded in the name of Aaron's wife, Miriam the prophetess. As you get further down, though, you're going to find out something else. Well, this one stands out like a sore thumb as well. Why not? I'll read these all the way through because this starts in 1520 all the way to 1523. Let's see here. I'll start with uh, verse 19. For the horse of Pharaoh went in with his chariots and with his horsemen into the sea, and the Lord brought again the waters of the sea on them. But the children of Israel went on dry land in the middle of the sea. And Miriam the prophetess, sister of Aaron, took a what? A tambourine in her hand. And all the women went out after her 
with tambourines and with dances. And Miriam answered saying, or answered them, sing you to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider has he thrown into the sea. So Moses brought Israel from the Red Sea and they went out into the wilderness of Shore. And they went three days in the wilderness and found no water. Here's where we get, once again, this same word. Because in 15, verse 23, And when they came to Marah, they could not drink the waters of Marah, for they were bitter. Therefore, the name of it was called Marah. And that's where it uh, stops in chapter 15. Now, boy, oh boy, oh boy, we had had some discussions about this in times past. And I'm thinking Matthew is back here. Yeah, I'm back. Boy, you talked about just about what I would, I didn't catch your whole spill, obviously, but uh, let me bring this up in the same instance. Ladies and gentlemen, the thing with the trees there, the dendron. You take that root in the Greek, take it to the Greek Bible, and you run smack dab where you should. Chapter 18, it's in verses 4 and verse 8. Ladies and gentlemen, that's when uh, the Lord your God came down and had a look-see what was going on in Sodom and Gomorrah. Verse 4. Let water, I pray thee, be brought, and let your feet be washed, and refresh yourselves under this dendron tree. And of course, in verse 8, Abraham is, of course, scrambling, uh, because he is uh, having a chit-chat with the Lord his God. And he took butter and milk and a calf, which he dressed and set it before them, and they ate. And he stood by them under the dendron, making sure... In both these instances, ladies and gentlemen, when you study the Greek or the Hebrew side, as Brian just pointed out, he's continually triangulating you back to what you need to see. (coughs) Now, I wasn't present for uh, all of Brian's discourse there, but I'm sure that you would have caught it that uh, the angels first strike the earth, and then, of course, they strike the heavens. But, ladies and gentlemen, all this one-third in connection with the earth, first and foremost, is, of course, the, well, the building materials, the creatures, the ships. But now God has grabbed the earth and reckoned it to the heavens. And this can only mean one thing, ladies and gentlemen. Whether you like it or not, You live in a 24-hour world right now. Divide that by three, because you're going to lose one of them. The Lord's not playing with you. He literally just said, you're going to a 16-hour day. Now, this is obviously due to save us from the two impactors we just incurred, which could have only occurred... 
Well, ladies and gentlemen, you better give yourself a clue. Let's talk about where I live. We have a magical substance called scoria. Let me tell you what scoria really is. Scoria is clay that's been baked into pottery while it was in the ground. Let me explain to you what badlands are. Ladies and gentlemen, badlands are not mountains. No, 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 no. I can take you to even a specific road here and show you that it's a plain. You'll be standing in wheat, and all of a sudden the earth just goes boom and falls away because the fountains of the deep were under them, and they must have burst forth. Uh, that's why there's no aquifer there, by the way. Yeah, you can buy all kinds of houses there in that area. Well, you don't have water, ladies and gentlemen. You you have to buy water, and the truck has to show up and give you water. Yeah, that's that's a fact. The geologists know that, just so you know. Up here in the oil field, you can go and joke around with a ge geologist that will periodically show up to you know inspect and all that good, good kind of stuff. You can have all kinds of amazing conversations with them. They'll come right out and tell you the truth because they know that you're in complete, absolute media blackout, so it doesn't matter if they talk to you or not. What we're really talking about is that Chichilub impact crater and what happened when that event happened. That's that's what we're really talking about. And we're really talking about God really chasing after what's been because that really is what he said. Now, what should really bother you is all of this massive devastation going on, and uh, we're not even to the three woes yet. Down to 60 seconds, Brian. Back to you. Well, back to me. Of course, back to me. That's the way it always works. No. Sorry. I was in the midst of uh, explaining some things that were going on here to my roommate again. Because uh, tribulation, great tribulation. And if the days were not shortened, then no, what would be saved? You, you're, this, you are told this time and time again, Matthew 24, Mark 13, Luke 21, you should have already seen this coming. And as Matthew points out, it is very, very easy to understand when you take one-third off that 24, okay, what do you do? You divide 24 by 3. It's going to give you 8, so then you take 24, and you subtract that 8, you end up with 16. And folks, once again, if these days were not shortened, well, it was already all explained. These days have to be shortened. I think I said a little bit of enough in that moment. Well, yes, you just explained the riddle of the ages. If the days had not been cut short, no flesh would be spared. I think I prepped it with saying it before it. That's why I said what I said. If these things don't happen, all life would be extinguished. So, ladies and gentlemen, it's not difficult to see. You do not have to be a mathematician. You do not require a degree to just believe what just came out of his mouth. 
because he said it in a way that there can be no consternation with what he meant. He said exactly what needed to be said in such a way so that you would know you was losing eight hours off your day. I mean, he said it in the exact way. He didn't mention one without mentioning the other. He said the night, he said the day, he said the stars, and he said the faithful witness. Making sure that you understood, it was going to be understood, he was talking about time. And it just amazes me how people can't get that. They just can't understand it, I guess. But he just come right out and told you the truth. That if these days had not been cut short, and he just come out and told you, uh, by the way, the days are short right now. After his day, we haven't got anything from Jesus yet so far. Nothing. That's why all your rapturous comes up with zeros. It's not here. Never was. And especially the time in question here, I think that you all need to be acting like Abraham in uh, Genesis chapter 18. You don't want to be having thoughts about ascending the heights of heaven at this point in time. But just imagine all the massive damage done to this ecosystem at present time. And this ain't nothing. We still got three more, and they are called woes. So we ain't even got started yet. We have not even got started yet. And it absolutely blows me away how people get to this point and, you know, uh, I don't know what they're thinking, Brian. But, I mean, you can pull up documentary after documentary, after documentary, um, displaying what would happen just if one of these events happened. Just, just well, if one of look, them happened. I, I need to interject something here because it did come up earlier. You know, folks, uh, Matthew mentioned one of these cunningly devised fables that has been floating around out there that, uh, with an infamous set of Left Behind movies with Mr. Uh, well, we all know his name. I don't need to say it. But I'm going to tell you something, folks, you ain't going to like. I mean, I will state this quite emphatically. Come 2001, right after what transpired with the Twin Towers falling, I had already been in the midst, not even... Less than a few months after coming to the Lord, I realized that the people surrounding me, something wasn't adding up. Once I got access to internet, I began looking into it. Okay, Timothy LaHaye has a lot of funding going from him back and forth into the midst of this massive theocratic regime that's sitting at the top echelon now in the United States. Okay, I did what anybody knows to do. The first thing I looked at 
for instance, was all the things being broadcast on the television, I went to look where their money was going and coming from. When I realized it was all tying itself into the governing body, I already knew there was a problem. And if you don't believe me, go and look into it. You're going to find this is fact. This is why we have certain leaders that are running around right now. For instance, our uh, infamous new, uh, what in the world, uh, State Department or whatever place he was put in. He was the head of the CIA, Mr. Pompeo. Why he keeps dropping that term out there. I mean, I look, I'm not trying to be mean here, but when the first time that anybody put those Left Behind movies on in front of me, I already read through the Bible once, and I was literally laughing at what I was seeing. I was like, this is so ridiculous. I don't even know what to make of this. But that's just it by them entering their cunningly devised fables into this equation. Okay. Everything we're talking about here, this is why they're not bringing forward what it says because a vast amount of people out there are fixated on one little spot. So therefore, all this ends up turning into nonsense with everything else that they're pushing out there within these specific circles that happen to be tied into our governing body as we speak. I don't know how else to say it. It is what it is. Without these things coming to pass with this current governing body, once we get to later chapters in Revelation, folks, if you can't look at what's happening now and understand that all this had to happen, because if it didn't, then none of what's coming ahead, when you start talking about Revelation 18, 17, any of that, it doesn't make sense until this specific point in history. What happened here in in this part of the world, where we live, it was supposed to happen. And ironically enough, it does bother me to an extent, because I didn't like what I saw during that election cycle, but it frustrates me to no end, realizing at the same time, that's where we have to humble ourselves sometimes, should have seen it coming. Oh, yeah. Should have seen it coming. Yeah, we should have seen this coming, too. Boy, we're way out of time, aren't we? Well, ladies and gentlemen, I hope we have at least shored you up enough to realize what's in front of you and realize what you need to prepare for is exactly uh, what happened when the Lord come down to Mount Sinai, made himself perfectly clear. Even the animals that touched the mountain were to be put to death. So um, you need to reckon in your mind what kind of shape you need to be in whenever you take Operation Eagle's Wings and are relocated to a place that's been prepared for you by him. You need to act like Abraham was acting like in... Genesis chapter 18. And you need to realize that those inferences in the Greek pointed you straight to that chapter in 18. Because ladies and gentlemen, there is no consternation why God come down to have chit-chat with uh, 
Abraham. Ladies and gentlemen, if you don't remember, I guess I need to tell you. That's when he nuked Sodom and Gomorrah. So he was pointing you to that specific dendron tree to make sure you understood how you were supposed to be acting on the other side of this. Because there's all kinds of Greek and Hebrew references we couldn't point out to you. We just did not have enough time. But what was described, just described, if you don't realize that there was only one place by petition that was set aside. Just one. And how did they get there, ladies and gentlemen? That's right. They had to be seized by the angels and forced out and taken. And what happened when somebody wouldn't listen to them and turned around to look to see what was happening at Sodom and Gomorrah? Ladies and gentlemen, you need to do what I said before we get this show off the runway. Look, get your trays in the upright position, fasten your seatbelts, and then grip the Word of God with white knuckle fist. Because... The Hebrew and the Greek here in this text is all over it. Through shadow and silhouette, you are worn to the nth degree. Because once you're there, you're not safe and sound. Oh no, you still have Kara's rebellion to worry about. But at this point, we haven't even got to the woes. Ladies and gentlemen, Operation Eagle's Wings is real, and you ain't going to heaven. And God himself says that if you try, he's going to bring you down. If you try to dig into hell, he's going to bring you up. So, ladies and gentlemen, these things are real. They're really going to happen. So, Next WI2C Radio will be on Chapter 9. Brian, your closing thoughts and comments, please. Well, I was just going to throw in there, too, folks. When I brought up bitter, I would take a look at Numbers Chapter 12 because it's all encoded all throughout there. There's very important things you need to see in this. 12 verse 1, 12 verse 4, 12 verse 10, 12 verse 15. There's many other places, but once again, time. Uh, thanks for joining us, everyone. God bless. All right, ladies and gentlemen, take a read over Genesis chapter 18 and 19, because you need to know that the place that's been prepared for you by God is just like the place that uh, the angels took the survivors of that valley. It's called the Valley of Sedim. Until next time, ladies and gentlemen, God bless.
Godspeed.